the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues to impact on global markets, with the price of oil and gas again rising sharply this week. Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times will explain the implications for Irish consumers and businesses and run through the changes in excise duties that were announced today by the government. Meanwhile, the exodus of big corporate brands from the Russian market continues apace, with Ireland's CRH among those who've decided to quit the market. Mark Paul tells me about this exodus and runs through the exposure of big Irish business to the Russian market. But I began by asking Cliff Taylor to give me an update on the state of play in global stock markets and the latest on oil and gas prices. Yeah, a little calmer today, Kieran, probably because, uh, like the rest of us, the investors in the markets don't know uh, what, what on earth is going to happen next, and they're trying to trying to work out what's going to happen and 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 what to do. European stock markets are up a bit because investors seem to be reckoning that with the EU leaders meeting later this week, there's going to be signals that governments are going to step in, spend money, support economies, kind of like the way they did during COVID, and that kind of all bets are off on the prospect of uh, higher interest rates, which had been one of the things concerning the markets. Energy markets are, are a small bit calmer this morning, but, but prices still remain really high uh, by any kind of standards of what we're used to. So the price of a barrel of oil is around $123, which is just slightly down from, from where it was yesterday. Uh, still reacting, I think, to uh, President Biden's decision to boycott Russian oil. And I suppose one of the best ways to look at the volatility we've been seeing is to look at gas prices. So when we were talking last week, uh, wholesale gas prices on the European market were about €160 per megawatt hour, which was about twice what they were at the start of the year. During this week, they've doubled again at one stage to well over €300. And now today they're back down to €170, which is still hugely high by any historical standards, but obviously well off what it was a few days ago. So everyone really trying to work out what this means and what happens next. But no uh, no doubt, I think, that a really big economic threat is now facing us. And, you know, as, as this energy shock hits, takes money out of people's pockets, costs businesses a lot more, and in turn, that's, that's passed on. So a really fundamental change to the economic outlook, I think, over the next few years. Cliff, the European Commission yesterday outlined... A plan to reduce uh, Europe's exposure to Russian oil and gas by two thirds by the end of this year. How realistic is that? And how important is the ban by the US and the UK on uh, Russian crude imports? Yeah, the ban by the US and the UK to take that one first, not massive, important symbolically, but the US has a, has a reasonably small dependence on Russian oil. I think it's around eight, six, eight percent of its total. And likewise for the UK. Uh, so in terms of their actual impact on the market, you know, not huge, but very important politically and, and symbolically, of course. And, and I suppose have raised the question in the, in the mind of, uh, of investors and, uh, and people trading on the markets, whether Europe is going to be pushed to follow at some stage. Now, as you say, Europe outlined that plan or the European Commission outlined that plan to re- reduce uh, dependence on Russian gas and oil by two thirds by the end of this year, and the EU leaders will discuss that at their meeting tomorrow and Friday. It looks pretty ambitious to me to be able to achieve that. The International Energy Agency published a plan earlier in the week which spoke about a 40% reduction, which looked like something you might manage. 
So 75 looks very, uh, you know, it looks dramatic and I think it is dramatic and, and as well as requiring all the additional supplies that the EU is counting on to come into place from liquefied natural gas and other sources of energy, it would require a big cut in demand. And I just think that's going to be hard to, that's going to, be hard to achieve. Mark, let's talk about the hit on companies. Uh, we, we've seen in the past 24 hours, the likes of McDonald's and Starbucks have decided to pause their operations uh, in Russia. Similarly, Coca-Cola and Pepsi pulling back, Adidas announcing uh, that it's pulling back as well this morning. And there has been a hit to Irish companies, which you were writing about uh, last week. Tell us about the Irish companies who have the biggest exposure to Russia. Well, um, there are certain Irish companies, um, some of the larger listed businesses, who have actually invested in physical manufacturing operations um, in Russia. And, and, and those companies now um, face a choice about what to do with those operations. Like one interesting example is Kingspan, the installation uh, company, uh, listed installation company, originally uh, based in Cavan. And Kingspan bought a new factory in Russia, in the Stavropol region, down near um, the, the entrance to the Caucasus, down near the Georgian border. Only 12 months ago, they purchased that factory and invested in it and, uh, and, and are making installation boards there. And they also have another factory, I think, up around the St. Petersburg region. Um, Kingspan's uh, insulation and panel boards have been used on, uh, on, on big Russian infrastructural projects, um, like the new football stadium in St. Petersburg that was due to host the Champions League finals this year um, and has had that taken away from it. So Kingspan so far has remained pretty quiet about the future of its operations and what it intends to do there, you would think that that that, that Kingspan might possibly be juggling with the idea of trying to ride out the current uh, situation and to see where it is, see where it ends up. But um, another company, an Irish company, major Irish company that just decided to walk away from its Russian operations pretty quickly was CRH, the building materials giant. Now, CRH trades or has traded in Russia through its uh, subsidiary in Finland, which is called Rudus. And uh, if you kind of, if, if you can just, in, in your mind's eye, just picture the map of Europe, um, St. Petersburg is only about an hour and a half, couple of hours from the Finnish border, just over the border. And an awful lot of that part of the Russian economy was serviced by companies from Finland. So CRH had a, had a joint venture with another Finnish company over the border in Russia that had about six ready-mix plants. And uh, CRH says it's a very small investment worth only a, a couple of million euro. And it's literally just completely walked away from it. Um, it isn't selling it. It isn't looking for a buyer. It isn't trying to sell it to its joint venture partner. It's literally just mothballing it and walking away. And that's CRH's results last week. That's what they made clear. And then another interesting company, uh, Irish company with, with, with operations in, uh, in Russia is the Kerry Group. Now, the Kerry Group, it's interesting the timing of when they went into Russia. Um, the big round of sanctions that came along in 2014 after Putin annexed Crimea, there were sanctions put on, on, on the, the Russian economy uh, by the European Union. And in retaliation, um, Putin brought in uh, an import ban on an awful lot of European agri-food products, which really affected Ireland, actually. A lot of dairy products were banned and so on. So you had companies like Kerry looking at the Russian market saying, well, how can we service that market now if we can't export from Ireland into there? And um, so what Kerry went and did was it opened a factory in 2018 in the, uh, in the Moscow area. Now, that factory makes kind of coatings for other businesses, like, like the sort of stuff that chicken nuggets are dipped in. That, that, that's what it makes. And that factory uh, really is, uh, you know, it's still operating. And I think the sense amongst food companies is that it's much harder for them to walk away 
because they're supplying food into the Russian market and there's more sensibilities around just shutting off food supplies. Um, so look, that factory is still there and still operating for the Kerry Group. Smurf Capper Group also has a number of printing plants and paper production plants and packaging production plants in Russia. And, and it had been, uh, I did identify the Russian market as a big opportunity for growth um, over the next coming years. But I, I think... You know, there's an awful lot going on. You named a lot of businesses there at the start that are, that are pausing their operations or pulling out. I think all of the companies that are doing something in relation to the Russian operations fall into two broad camps, really. The first camp are the companies that are really affected on a practical level by sanctions of some sort, maybe in the financial services sector, maybe big industrial companies who can't, who, whose supply chains have been thrown into complete chaos because they can't um, bring certain components over the border into Russia. And then the second camp, and I think the one that's, that, that's at least taken up most of the oxygen in debate, and, and is companies that aren't impacted by sanctions in any way at all, but are in fear of public opprobrium and, and of boycotts and so on. And those are the companies in the consumer brand. So if you look at, for example, um, I mean, I, I tried to make a list this morning of some of the other companies that have been involved, um, like Universal Music, um, Imperial Brands, which makes Galois cigarettes. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Heineken, um, Yum Brands, which owns KFC and Pizza Hut. I actually, for my sins this morning, I looked at an old um, Russian television ad for, for Pizza Hut, which was um, recorded in the mid-1990s, and it was endorsed by Mikhail Gorbachev. It's a very, very funny ad. Uh, and you have the older generation and the younger generation in Russia sitting in a Pizza Hut restaurant, and uh, Gorbachev strides across Red Square and in and orders himself a deep pan pizza with his grandkids. And the older generation and younger generation have a row about the changes in Russia, but the old babushka, the old lady, stands up and she goes, well, Gorbachev gave us Pizza Hut. And then the ad ends about how it brings Russians and Americans together. So all of that is gone. All of that mentality around Western brands going into Russia, it's gone. Apple, Airbnb, Netflix, Spotify, Estee Lauder, H&M, Disney, Expedia, Warner Brothers, all of these companies are involved in what looks like a full-scale corporate cancellation of Russia at the moment. And um, there has been a warning from the Russian government in relation to this. It came last week from Mikhail Mishustin, I think is, is, is how you pronounce the name of the Russian prime minister. And he warned companies that were pulling out of, of Russia that if you pull out now, you probably won't get back in. Um, so Russia has brought in a temporary ban on foreign companies selling their Russian assets to try and staunch some of the flow. But look, it just looks like he hasn't been accessible at all because since he brought that in, the rush of companies to the exit has gotten, uh, the stampede has, has, has gotten uh, even greater since he did that last week. Yeah, the McDonald's one is interesting, isn't it? Because that was quite symbolic when they opened. I think it was in 1990 when the old Soviet Union broke up and McDonald's was was in there like a flash uh, opening up uh, restaurants. And this was a huge symbolic moment for uh, the old Soviet Russia to be uh, rushing towards uh, a massive consumer brand, American brand. Uh, like McDonald's uh, and, you know, the, the famous Golden Arches? Well, look, no company, um, I suppose, symbolizes American consumerist, capitalist, you know, globalist ideology like McDonald's. I mean, the Golden Arches are everywhere. And when McDonald's went into uh, Russia, uh, went into the old Soviet Union, I mean, this was really the symbol of, of the end of the Cold War and, uh, and, 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 you know, the sort of the hegemony of, of, of Western uh, capitalist, consumerist, sort of mentality moving into Russia. And it looked for a few days there over the weekend like McDonald's was going to try and ride this out, along with Starbucks. Other companies were making moves and McDonald's and Pepsi at that time hadn't as well. 
And then there was a growing move online to call for a boycott. Now, now McDonald's operates itself, most of its restaurants in Russia. So it's within its gift, really, to shut them down. And so there was a big movement online. You had people calling for a boycott of McDonald's. And that was starting to pick up pace. Certain celebrities were getting involved. So the company has moved to pause its operations. And it's also struck deals with, with the, the small number of franchisees that it has there. So, you know, in a country like Russia that is has become quite totalitarian, and um, where it's probably not a nice place to live in a lot of ways when you have a government of that type, type, controlling what you see and what you hear. You know, the middle class are kept quiet, so to speak, by the niceties of these sort of Western luxuries. And it'll be interesting to see just from a, a purely geopolitical uh, point of view and, and from the stability of the populace and the support for the government in Russia, how that happens when they can't get their luxuries. They can't get their estate order. They can't get the latest Disney releases. They can't, you know, Netflix and chill because Netflix is gone. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the rush of all these companies away from the Russian consumer market and what it means for, uh, uh, for the mindset of consumers and of the electorate in Russia. Yeah, even the Premier League has been turned off, uh, coverage of the Premier League. In well, well, I would point out actually that Manchester United have been first in something this year. They're top of the table in something this year. And they were the first company that I saw cancelling uh, a commercial contract with uh, with Russia. The day after the invasion, they came out and they cancelled, straight away cancelled their deal with Aeroflot, their, their sponsorship deal with Aeroflot. So, yeah, I mean, if Manchester United win nothing else this year, um, at least they're top of the table for, uh, for cancelling Russian contracts. Well, congratulations on that, Mark. Ed Cliff, let's see, you mentioned uh, rising gas prices earlier. That's obviously going to impact massively on consumers and businesses in Ireland. And the government has responded this morning by dropping uh, excise duties. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, I guess the, the first thing they've done is to uh, try and address this issue of big increases at the petrol pumps. So there's been a 15 cent reduction in the excise duty on diesel announced and a 20 cent reduction on the excise duty on petrol and we're told that, that will cut the uh, the cost of the average fill up of diesel by about nine euro and the average fill up of petrol by about 12. Now of course the problem is that that's only going to compensate people for some of the increase uh, and there is a risk I mean who knows that there's a, there's a lot more to come so we're just going to have to wait and see but I think while the government will probably try and keep its powder dry now for a few days, they're going to come under real pressure to do a lot more. I think particularly in the area of gas and electricity prices, both for consumers and businesses, they take a, t- a while to feed through. The wholesale prices take a, a while to feed through to uh, to consumers and to businesses, but, but feed through they will. Uh, and if prices stay at anything like the current levels, you're looking at really, you know, really sharp increases. So we saw prices go up very heavily last year and we could be looking at something similar again this year. So, you know, what the heck is the government going to do to protect households and uh, what's it going to do to protect businesses? Because some of the big manufacturing companies that are, you know, central to the economy, the big biopharma companies, some of the big tech manufacturing companies, the food companies are all really big heavy users and are going to see massive increases in their energy bills now. So I think a, a bit of a conundrum for the government about what to do on gas and electricity. There isn't the kind of excise duties in those fuels that there is on petrol and diesel. There's you know small elements of carbon tax on, on, on gas, but kind of largely really irrelevant in terms of the overall scheme of things. So the government, you know, we have this 200 euro going into households now uh, next month, but the government is going to have to think what its next trick is going to be on this one. And I suspect we're going to see a pretty extensive package 
trying to protect less well-off people, poorer households, so-called fuel-poor house, households via the welfare, the welfare system. I suppose some leeway in that we're coming out of the winter now and, and into the summer, so uh, or into the spring at least. But looking out the window here, it doesn't uh, give much encouragement. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the weather will get warmer and uh, energy demand will, will fall off a bit, so that's that huge pressure will fall. But, you know, heading into next winter, that we'll be right slapped back into it again. And there is a huge issue for businesses here as well. My sources were telling me that businesses have been put on notice by their suppliers of increases of, you know, 50, 60 percent in their energy costs. And that's a really big deal for businesses and a bit of a conundrum there for the government, I think, and what to do on that one. But we could see emergency measures to hold the price down, depending on how this plays out over the next the next three or four weeks. Yeah, now, Cliff, somebody's obviously making a lot of money out of this, um, uh, these rising uh, oil and gas prices. Who are the beneficiaries of this? Uh, uh, these increases? Well, Mr. Putin, I suppose, uh, unfortunately, and this is, why, uh, this, is, this is why this is so politically sensitive, if you like, because uh, particularly if you look at, if you look at gas but, and also oil, you know, the rising price is a huge boon now to the Russian exchequer. State companies are selling the, this product to us all. So the point is, this is while while Putin's access to his foreign exchange reserves have been cut off, in terms of central bank access, this is providing the hard currency, which is which is fueling the uh, the Russian economy. So that I think is going to be a big political issue the longer this the longer this goes on. Yeah, of course, oil companies and and and, and gas supply companies are going to be uh, are going to be looking at it as well, and and. Uh, there's going to be, a, a, I suppose, a balance for them between uh, the inputs that they're, they're getting in and, and what they're selling. So I think a lot of them will be ducking and diving a bit now as well, uh, looking at their forward purchasing contracts. Some of them will have margin calls, I suspect, on their contracts, which could look a bit nasty for them now uh, over the next few months. So I think we, should, we could see some pressure in that sector. So I, I don't think there are people in the domestic economy now. Of course, there are the, the petrol stations which have gone ahead and stuck up prices quickly and you know the odd one that would have stuck it up again in the in in, in the knowledge that the uh, the excise cut will take it back down to where it was before. So of course there'll be people taking a bit of cream off the top, but the bottom line is that this is a big hit to the Irish economy uh, and and a big hit to any energy importing economy. Uh, you know it's like an extra tax. It's like an extra you know big big hike in income tax or a big hike in corporate profit tax for businesses. This is just money straight off Ireland's uh, bottom line, unfortunately. Yeah, we had a report in the Irish Times yesterday about a company called Vermilion Energy, which operates the Corrup gas field and is a big shareholder there as well. And their revenues surged late last year as the price of gas rose. So presumably they're selling into the Irish market um, and we're, we're, we're paying for it. Yeah, they'll be big beneficiaries, you would expect, all right, depending on what supply contracts they have uh, with the Irish system and you know what prices they're locked into. Uh, I see Tullawall today, you know, announcing that it has uh, it has supply contracts, which meant that it hasn't been able to benefit from the huge increase in oil prices. So a lot of it will come down to the contracts. But you're right, uh, you know, energy suppliers, if this persists, we're clearly going to make a lot of money. And one of the things that the uh, European Commission is suggesting is that some of that money be taken back by the exchequer in tax uh, and used to compensate people. Um, so there could be some interesting decisions uh, for the Irish government ahead on that one as well. And of course, one of the other beneficiaries is going to be the exchequer itself, because as well as excise duty, uh, VAT is levied on fuel. Uh, and uh, as the price goes up, the VAT tech will be going up. So I would suspect that a lot of the cost of the uh, excise cut that we're seeing would in fact be paid for by uh, 
a big a big surge in, in VAT revenues on fuel. Feels like we have rolling budgets at the moment, Cliff. We're not due to have another budget until October, but the government uh, already announced the five hundred and five million cost of living package there a couple of weeks back, and here we are now with the cut in excise duties. And and you're suggesting that more is to come. Yeah, I mean they've insisted that it, you know they've insisted these are the technically these aren't money budgets, but or mini budgets should I say? But look, that doesn't matter. I mean. The government is adjusting its spending and tax policy, so you're right. Effectively, these are uh, these are mini budgets, and I guess um, extraordinary measures for extraordinary times. Um, there was kind of this huge reaction to uh, public finance reaction to to COVID in 2020, running into 2021, still continuing to some extent. And you know, who would have guessed that we'd have this conundrum now of what the government should do and what public authorities should do in the face of another kind of crisis. And in some senses, an even trickier one to respond to because uh, of the impact on inflation as well. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Mark, a difficult time, obviously, for a lot of uh, Irish businesses right across the country. They're going to have to face increased costs in terms of energy and other uh, inputs as a result of the, the, the war that's going on in Ukraine. And this comes at a bad time, really, doesn't it? Because we're coming out of COVID, the restrictions are being lifted, which is great. But the supports that the government has uh, provided over the past couple of years are also going to be withdrawn and that that in itself could expose a lot of small Irish businesses to the harsh reality of having to do business without any government help. Yeah well look you know the economy is going to have to or a lot of that that part of the economy SMEs at some stage will have to stand on their own feet because perhaps the government will eventually run out of capacity to keep supporting them to keep them on life support I mean as you know there are so many downstream effects in the Irish economy that you don't immediately think of because of what's happening in Ukraine and you know affecting the economy and affecting public policy as well because of the increase in costs that Cliff has been talking about in the energy system I mean for example if you look at like what's the biggest you know leaving aside the pandemic in Ukraine now what is the, the biggest issue facing the Irish government at the moment and it's building houses. And look, the cost of building houses is going to absolutely surge over coming years. Um, and, and, and that means then that people's borrowings in, in, in order to, to buy those houses will surge. And, and, and you know, there, there are other effects. Like, look at the tourism ministry, for example. I mean, the tourism ministry had been, before uh, Vladimir Putin's tanks rolled over the border on February 24th, the tourism ministry had been looking forward to a, a pretty good year um, in 2022 to try and repair some of the damage. Um, but now there's already anecdotal evidence coming out of the United States that some American tourists are starting to reassess their trips to Europe because they don't know if the war is going to spread. And, you know, on the one hand, you might think, well, it's crazy, the war's not going to spread. But, I mean, how crazy is it? I mean, I mean, it could. What if it spreads to a European Union country like Poland or what if it becomes a regional war? Um, Americans just won't fly in those circumstances and Americans are responsible for about... 20% of the value of, uh, of overseas tourism into Ireland. Um, then other downstream effects, like, for example, the notion that, that Ireland may end up taking on, on, on humanitarian grounds, possibly up to 100,000 Ukrainian refugees for a period of time, who will all have to be accommodated somewhere. And so 
there will be more and more deals done with hotels uh, done by the state to try and find somewhere, anywhere to accommodate these people who are fleeing, you know, war and misery and suffering, the likes of which me or you could never possibly imagine. Um, but there are downstream effects all the way through that are rippling through. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, you really want your mystic Meg ball out now at the moment to try and predict how all of this will happen. Not just what will happen when the dust settles. When will the dust settle? You know, you know on how much dust is going to settle? Um, it's just, it's such a cliche to say that there are too many unknowns, but there really are too many unknowns to predict how this is going to work out. The only thing that is absolutely sure and that we can absolutely hang our hat on is that the government, the exchequer, are going to be the, the central tentpole of the Irish economy for a long, long period of time to come, smoothing out the effects of all of this, supporting the sectors of the economy and that could fall flat on their face, protecting consumers from the impact and trying as best they can to deploy public resources, which aren't infinite, by the way, which at some stage will run out um, um, or, or the capacity to keep uh, sucking on them will run out. Um, and uh, and the government is going to is going to be uh, holding the hand of the economy for for a long 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 time to come. Yeah, Cliff, a report out this morning from a project management group called Mitchell McDermott suggesting that the costs of building a two bed apartment, uh, inflation during COVID times, for one reason or another, uh, added twenty seven thousand euro to the cost of uh, building or bringing a two bed apartment uh, to the market. It's a very substantial cost. And we're now looking at €440,000 total development costs for that two-bed apartment. You've got to imagine that the war in Ukraine won't do much um, for the cost of, of building here. And as Mark mentioned, you know, anywhere between eighty and 100000 being speculated, uh, Ukrainian refugees could end up coming to Ireland to be accommodated. Where are we going to house them? How are we going to afford all of this? Yeah, I mean, with, with a lot of difficulty, um, the Public Expenditure Minister, Michael McGraw, was saying today that uh, he hopes that the extra spending can be accommodated within the budget sums, and there is no doubt that with COVID still lurking, when they uh, when they drew up the budget last year, that there's a lot of money hidden away in various drawers that can be accessed now. We thought we might have to access it for COVID. We're going to have to access it for other reasons. Um, so, so there is significant leeway in the budget for this year. Uh, but as Mark said, um, you know, resources aren't aren't infinite, uh, and we're we're relying ever more now on, uh, you know, these big payments from corporate taxpayers, which are making up more and more of the, um, more and more of the tax take, uh, along with big increases in income tax, which are, which are based on uh, people getting more jobs. And you would, you'd have to think off the top of your head that both of those are going to be a bit threatened by what's happening now, the likely impact on growth, the likely impact on corporate profit margins uh, is bound to hit, hit into tax. So, you know, I think we, we, we have enough cash in the tank this year probably to, uh, to to absorb the first round of this. But as Mark said, you know, beyond that, you know, who knows where we're going, how long this is going to last, how severe it's going to be. I think the what the shooting up and down in the markets we've seen uh, actually means is that, you know, nobody knows. Uh, we're, we're into, you know, particularly unprecedented uncertainty, the possible risk heading into next winter of fuel being rationed. Eamon Ryan saying at the press conference today that one of the things that people could do is to drive more slowly as they go about their daily business to, to save petrol. I mean, uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that will save a few a few uh, a few liters I mean, here that's and there. Ridiculous stuff, Cliff, isn't it? I mean, the European Commission yesterday was telling people that they should turn their thermostat down by one degree, and that would that would help um, save a lot of of energy. And of course, it would, but. I mean, a lot of houses are badly insulated and the reason people have their thermostats up to what they have them up to is because they need to stay warm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, looking at the longer term or to the extent that you can look at the longer term at the moment, but the next year or two, I suppose, we were already looking, certainly in Ireland and probably across Europe again, at kind of a tricky a tricky so-called energy transition as we moved away from more polluting fuels to, to, to the great future of wind farms off every coast and, uh, you know, clean energy uh, and, and electric cars. And, and, and it was clear already that there was, you know, an awkward bit in the middle there where we moved away from the fossil fuels, but we still didn't have enough renewable fuels on stream. And that's kind of been underlined now because as well as the climate issue on fossil fuels, there's already this issue of energy security now and energy supply and the question of whether rationing might be needed. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot for the government to deal with there. And I think a lot of uncertainties uh, heading into the next year or so. But um, I think this whole issue of energy security and actually be able to keep the lights on and having enough for, 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 for all the big industries that are locating here is now going to be a front and centre issue in Irish politics uh, and in Irish business uh, and a really crucial one in terms of uh, companies coming to locate here as well. Eamon Ryan's also in favour of the ban on uh, oil and gas exploration. Should we be rethinking that and rethinking our opposition to um, the LNG plant that's been proposed for um, the, the Shannon region? Yeah, I've, I'm not so sure in the exploration, in the sense that it would take years to come on stream anyway, and maybe that bird has flown, if you know what I mean. Uh, I, I do think the LNG issue does need to be looked at all right, uh, and I, I would have a question in my head about that uh, and, and whether we need to look at that again. I mean, Eamon, there was, in, the, in the time of the former energy minister, Richard Bruton, there was a big review of Ireland's energy security promised, which, which, has, which has kicked off and is taking place. That was 2019. Now, we still have to see that review published, and it would be really interesting now to see how the prospective numbers add up over the next couple of years. And I think they would really help to answer those questions that, that, that you're putting there about what is a credible energy mix for Ireland? Uh, how can we accelerate renewables? You know, How can we speed up the planning process, for example, on offshore wind? And try and get that moving because there's no doubt we've, you know, we're starting to fall behind some countries like Scotland now that are really moving ahead quickly on that, uh, on on that agenda. Uh, we we really need, you know, the, you're right that housing is one of the emergencies we face here, and and there, we've I guess failed really to put a planning system in place that allows us to accelerate that. But now we need a planning system as well that's going to allow wind infrastructure to be built very quickly. Uh, and I think we really have to look at the balance of rights and obligations that people have in, in, the, in that arena to get this done as quickly as possible. Mm, good luck with that. We don't have a great track record True. on planning across a, a number yeah. of areas. Um, has the war in Ukraine put the tin hat on the possibility of interest rate increases by the ECB this year, Cliff? Yeah, I think probably, uh, but it is a tricky one and it, it puts them in an impossible position really because we're going to see a big shoot up in inflation. Uh, on the one side and on the other side, we're going to see a big hit to economic growth. So there is going to be uh, the usual suspects on the ECB board saying, look, we have to go ahead anyway, because otherwise inflation is going to become embedded. What uh, you would think and what the markets are betting on at the moment is that it's more likely uh, that because of the extent of the economic shock, the shock they'll hold off. Um, you, you, you might still see the Fed increase in US interest rates, but maybe a quarter point in March. Uh, as had been anticipated. Uh, but even there, you're probably going to look at a much slower pace of interest rate increases over the balance of the year. 
Uh, still a lot of debate on that, but I think less likely now and, and a slower path towards interest rate increases despite the risks that's going to mean for for inflation and, and, and uh, everyone's pockets. It's a really tricky one. Okay, we'll leave it there, Mark Paul and Cliff Taylor. Thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Cliff Taylor and Mark Paul. The show was produced by Suzanne Brennan. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.